Welcome to The Bitterest Pill. It's Dan Classen in my garage. Uh, under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport. Here in beautiful Southern mm-hmm, California. A. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, yeah, that was the new intro thing because I'm, you know, because what happens is I take too long to put these shows together. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have that kind of time anymore. I used to, back when we started this program in 2004, um, uh, you know, I was so relieved that my little baby daughter was napping that I would spend hours making the show, recording the show, but also just kind of cobbling it together. And, um, that's how, you know, the format of the show started. And now, and I, I don't have that kind of time. Even though my kids are both out of the house most of the day, uh, there's stuff to do. So that's all we're getting for this week for an intro. That's it. You're going to, trust me, you're going to know what I talk about soon enough. And here we go. So where to begin? I, ha- I have this whole list here that I think we can just go through one by one in, in probably no particular order. And uh, discuss at will. Now, my next door neighbor, Steve. You know my wacky neighbor, Steve? He's moving. Now, my wacky neighbor, uh, my wacky, hi, how are you? My wacky neighbor, Steve Whitebridge. Um, he, okay, he's he's my wacky neighbor. And he comes over, I, I, I would say once a year, although maybe we're now down to once every two years, but once at least every one or two years, he comes to me. He'll stop me because I think what he does is he sits in his window and he hears my front door open and then he runs outside to happen to see me. So he'll just, you know, happen to see me at a run and then uh, tell me that he has to sell the house. And this has been going on for 10 years, 10 years, once a year, once every two years, Mike uh, uh, excuse me, Steve Whitebridge claims he's going to uh, sell the house. And so, as you can imagine, around year four, I kind of stopped listening because around year four, he's the boy that cried uh, escrow, right? And so it's not happening. And I get it. This is a thing you freak out once a year about your finances because you may or may not actually work. And Steve has had like a, a hundred different, and I, I hesitate to say careers. But in the time that we've known each other, he has supposedly been an actor, a producer, a director, a rubber stamp salesman, a t-shirt printing and embroidery representative. Uh, Now he's a realtor. He is a realtor, a realtor, a realtor in in our area, in the the vast surrounding areas everywhere, right? He's a realtor. But now he's decided that he's going to sell the house. I'm not really clear why, and either move to the Valley, up at Sherman Oaks or somewhere, or to Boston. Now, that sounds like a pretty equitable exchange. I think I'm going to move either 20 miles north to the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles, or, I don't know, Boston. But this time, so this time when he came to me and he said, hey, Dan, I'm going to move, I'm like, yeah, sure, Steve. And then he said, yeah, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to... um." paint the house, paint the inside of the house, and I'm going to give away all my stuff and sell my, all my stuff. And then I'm going to sell it. And, I, uh, 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 uh. and next thing I know, Steve Whitebridge is actually selling all his stuff and giving it all. He's actually painting the Like the, the painter guys have been over there for several days, painting the inside of his house, the outside of his house. They've even painted the picket fence that goes around the house. I think, I think Steve Whitebridge is really honestly moving. And I like to complain about him because, like I say, I think he stalks me from his living room because I cannot walk from my front door to my car. And I'm telling you, it's less than, it's probably seven feet. Because my front door goes front door, porch, step, step, maybe two, two and a half steps. And then it's the carport and then I'm in the car. But I think I'm going to miss him. And I think him leaving, if he really leaves, maybe he won't go through with it. Maybe he'll just move back into the house. Because if he does leave, that will be further proof that time is actually passing. And this thing where my tiny little baby son has become a, a young, full-grown man 
will just be some illusion that someone has created, but actually time isn't moving forward. Time has stopped just like I needed it to back in 2000. I recently saw a movie, and when I say saw, what happens is I have a lot of laundry to do, and so I I play movies on an iPad, and I carry the iPad with me while I'm sorting laundry and then putting it in the wash, and then stuff has to come out, and then it has to be resorted into what gets hung up and what goes in the dryer and all that stuff, so I quote-unquote watch movies. And I watched this movie, and it was really perfect timing because, as you know, I recently had a birthday. Uh, and it was called something like and it, 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 Someone Up There Likes Me or something. Someone Up There. I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up. Well, I had seen a trailer for it, I guess, when it first came out or whatever. And I noticed it because Nick Offerman is in it from The Office. And I love Nick Offerman from The Office. So I watched it. And I didn't, you know, it seemed like an okay movie. So I watched the movie. And I guess this is a spoiler in a way. So if you want to avoid a spoiler for this movie, the title of which I haven't actually told you, then maybe you should stop listening. Fast forward it for a couple of minutes. Because like I say, it may or may not be something like uh, someone up there likes me. I don't know. So the main character is this guy, Max. And you show him, uh, you know, confronting his ex-wife. And then he meets this chick. And then a couple, next thing you know, he gets married. And then there's a little graphic that says five years later. And really not that much has changed. And then it says five years later. And then not that much has really changed. And then you realize as the movie goes on that probably 20 or 30 years have elapsed. And the guy still looks to be about 23. And the reason for that is it is the ideal depiction of life as maybe not all men, but definitely as certain men. And by certain men, I mean me, because I completely identify with the fact that this guy, he eventually, well, I won't give give away the ending of the movie, but like he lives his whole life and (laughs) always looks the same, which I think is right. It's sort of how he feels. I think, unless just maybe that's my interpretation of it. Listen, I've been sitting in this house and I've been doing laundry and avoiding my life really in kind of a way. I mean, I do these recordings, don't get me wrong, but I mean, I really haven't been out in the world in the way that I was before we had kids in 15 years. And in a lot of ways, I keep kidding myself that no time has passed when according to the calendar, it's been 15 years. Now, meanwhile... You know, I'm seeing this stuff. I, I get these emails or I see stuff on Facebook like a guy I went to college with. Our university is honoring him for a lifetime achievement. A lifetime achievement? That can't be possible. We just graduated two years. Two, was it two years or was it 27 years ago? How many years ago was it that we graduated from college? And so I'm reading, you know, I'm looking over his bio and I'm like, yeah, you know what? He has had an incredible, they should be honoring him. And then I found out the other day that another friend of mine from uh, college who, and then after we were friends after that, because we all kind of lived uh, like in New York at the same time and hung, she's running for the Senate. My friend should not be running for the Senate like that. That should not be a thing that people I know do. We right? Didn't we just, what's happening? What is happening? So yeah, if you live in Tennessee, I'll tell you who to vote for. That's all I'll say, because I don't want to, I don't want to get political and it's not political. It's just, this is my friend. I think you should vote for my friend. She's running for the Senate. I, that just is mind boggling. Not that you shouldn't vote for her. She'd be a wonderful Senator. It's the fact that a friend of mine who I still think of as being about 19, 20, 20, yeah, about 22, is apparently, for whatever bizarre reason, she is now old and mature enough to be a senator. It's ridiculous. I'm not. I'll tell you that right now. You should definitely not elect me a senator. It wouldn't wouldn't work on any level. Now, see, I can't remember if we talked about the health club thing because now, you know, we left the YMCA because everybody was showing us their junk. You, you, we definitely, I know for sure we covered that. And I don't even, like, for instance, I don't even remember. Did we talk last week? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. 
So last, okay, where did we, wow, it's been a, yeah, okay. So you know that my, I got in a car crash. You know that, and you know that we were tired of seeing penises at the Y. We've, we've definitely discussed that as far as I know. Now, so uh, I, I think it was the day I was going to pick up my car from the shop, the auto body shop. That's what it was. So I pick up my car. And if we've discussed this, listen, I'm old now. I, I'm old now and I don't know what I've said. And I'm going to start repeating myself as much as it annoys the hell out of me when other people, okay, it's going to happen. And I'm sorry, it's just something that we're going to have to live with for the next 20 or 30 minutes until I die. So the day I went to pick up my car after it had been hit in the intersection by someone who, I bet you he was texting. Um, I pick up the car and I think it might be pulling a little bit to the left. And this is the part that we may have discussed already. I don't know. And you just listen, bear with the old man and just kind of look interested and nod until I get past it. So I pick up the car. I pick up the car and it's and it's pulling a little, I think, maybe to the left. I, I can't tell because the entire neighborhood around the auto body shop is torn up. All the streets have been excavated. And I don't know if they're re-blacktopping or un-blacktopping. It's that thing where you can't tell if they're destroying it or building it. They're making it better by making it horrible. They're putting in a median because, you know, that's what that street needs really is a median Nothing, nothing spruces up a boring, horrible looking industrial area quite like a median in the side of the road or the middle of the road, the middle of the road, but I could really use a patch of grass. So I drove the car around and I was like, you know, I don't, maybe, maybe it's an illusion that uh, it's pulling. I don't know. I can't tell. I give up. And so I drove, I, I said it was okay. And I drove it home. And then on the drive home, because those are really familiar Right. You can imagine any way you go to get home. That's all very familiar. So I'm driving home and I'm going, eh, I think it's still pulling. So I took the car back and I said, I think it's still pulling. And they were cool about it. And they said, oh, well, we'll take it over to the alignment shop. We'll have them look at it. So, so I'm at the alignment shop and I leave the alignment shop and I uh, had gotten an email from my friend, Bill, Broadway Bill. I shouldn't call him Broadway Bill, but he's my friend Bill, and he's an actor that I know from high school, and he works on Broadway as an actor and as a, uh, I don't even know. He, he works in theaters. You know what I mean? He's in the Broadway community. He's a Broadway Bill. Okay, so for listen, as far as you need to know, that is who he is. He's my friend Bill. It's just, it doesn't, Broadway Bill sounds bad, and I'm really not happy with calling him Broadway Bill. He's Bill. He's my friend Bill. He's lovely. Let's call him Lovely Bill. So my friend Broadway, Lovely Bill. This this is still not working. He had written me an email and he said, hey, listen, this friend of mine is a teacher at this uh, place or whatever. And um, she's looking for someone to take over this voice class. And I don't know if you're looking for any kind of job or whatever, but blah, 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 may I could hook you up with this woman and maybe, you you know, you guys should definitely talk. She's a friend of mine from college. He says, lovely Bill says, you should meet my friend from college. So I end up calling Bill and we chat chat as I'm walking around the neighborhood near the auto repair place, you know. And he says, yeah, my friend and her name's Christine and she does this acting thing and I guess she, whatever, whatever voice. And I'm like, but Bill, I don't, I've never taught voice. I don't, I don't know anything about it. And voice. And this is voice for actors. This isn't singing. This is speaking, speaking voice. So I say to him, well, you know what? I will contact her because, uh, I mean, we did do those exercises back in the old days. Our, our acting teacher, Marjorie Midge Marshall would, uh, have us do a bunch of that stuff. So I guess I had actually done it. I've just never taught it, but I guess, okay. Uh, so I contacted Christine and, and she was lovely, but too busy to get together. And we were supposed to get together this week, but then I was too busy and I got to write her back and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but she was teaching at this place and I finally kind of figured out that uh, it's right where it's in this part of Santa Monica, not even a part of Santa Monica, it's on Main Street, Santa Monica, which is this really nice part of Santa Monica. Like if there needed to be a nice part of Santa Monica, Main Street is like, a Main Street, the Main Street, Main Street, Santa Monica. 
And, and on Main Street, there's this place, this kind of very modern looking little plaza-ish tucked away in there called Edgemar. And she works at this place, Edgemar, which I was familiar with Edgemar because back in the early 90s, and I'm about to drop a lot of names to make my insignificant life seem somewhat better by association with people that have actually had careers. So just beware. Um, back in the early 90s, I used to do these stand-up shows in this place that was in that little plaza called Creativity, the bookstore, where they would have comedians like name drops. But, you know, just in certain name, I'm not even going to say it, it doesn't matter. People who name drop, who would do, and we would do stand-up in there kind of alternative stand-up, stand-up, whatever you want to call it, in this little bookstore, Creativity the Bookstore. It was a bookstore all about creativity and or Los Angeles. And apparently now most of that plaza is this Edgemar thing and uh, one of the big acting coaches here in town, Larry Moss, I guess, was very involved for a while, but then he recently left or something. I don't really know the details, but it really got me thinking about teaching Acting. Now, you know I'm going to teach at UCLA, but that's podcasting. Act, teaching acting is would be so different. And I had thought about it a little bit a while ago. Long story, not going to get into it. But what I can do, and what I'm very good at, is not necessarily, uh, as you know, choosing something and then sort of diving right in head first. I choose something and then I do a lot of research and thinking about it until I think of the next awesome thing that I could do and then I think about that a lot and may do right? Research and that and think and then uh, eventually it'll be Christmas and then we'll be enveloped by that. So that's what I've been doing this week though as I've been driving kids back and forth, back and forth is I know what I could do. And this does actually, though, I have to say, I have to admit, thinking about getting a job teaching acting does not repel me, which is a very significant thing to notice. Because even a job that sounds like a really awesome job, and I won't give examples in case I get an offer to do that kind of excellent, awesome job, but I'm just saying that even like the prospect of having kind of an excellent sounding, awesome sounding job, there's always this slight like, I don't know, you know what I mean? So I got to thinking, though, I could I could get a storefront and I could turn the storefront into a small theater and I could teach teenagers and adults acting and we could put on scenes and we could do plays. And at night we would do productions and then in the early evenings I could teach and on the weekends maybe we could have classes and do actual shows and have a season. We'd do a bunch of shows and have a season and have students and, it would be, and I could wear scarves. I could wear scarves and leather shoes and seem kind of artsy and it would be okay that I'm getting old and bald because it wouldn't matter because I wouldn't be an actor. I'd be an acting teacher. And what is more credible of an uh, uh, right for an actor but to be an acting? I mean, that, wouldn't that be wonderful? So the next thing I know, I have my own cult here in Westchester just north of the freeway, or excuse me, just north of the airport. So maybe this time next year, maybe we'll have the Dan Class Acting Cult. And if you ever have a layover, right, in Los Angeles, I'll teach you how to get there. Because basically, I want to have it in this little part of the of town called the Triangle, where it's almost like this tiny little main street that no one really knows about, honestly, which is probably maybe not a great place for uh, anything. But it's an awesome little street. And so what you would do is if you had a layover, you just go out your terminal and get on one of the buses that would take you to the parking spot called the, um, what is that called? Like polka dot parking, I think it is, something like that. But polka dot parking, okay? So you just pretend like you parked in polka dot parking. You get on the polka dot parking bus and that'll take you to polka dot, polka dot parking. Then you get off the polka dot parking bus and in fact, it's right next to In-N-Out Burger. So you could get off the bus, pretend like you're going to your car, sneak out the side, go to in and out You could have a double-double and fries with a large soft drink of your choice or iced tea. And then you could just walk a few blocks to the Dan Class Acting Cult on 87th Street in Westchester, California, 90045. Wouldn't that be fun? I don't know. But that's what I've been thinking about a lot is acting, acting, acting acting like 100% acting like enough and not to say I wouldn't do the podcast but just I've heard so many people say well see when I was a kid let's back up when I was a kid when I was about 11 
or maybe 12. These people came to my school who were, this was when I was living in England, but it doesn't matter because you hear the same thing all the time. So the fact that it's in England is actually irrelevant. But to p- paint the picture, I'm in an American school, but in England, in London. And these people came to my school that I think were the hosts of a TV show called Jack and Nori. And I don't remember. Are you British and old? Do you remember Jack and Nori? I think they were on Jack and Nori or maybe they wrote for But I'm pretty sure they were talent. They were on camera from Jack and Nori. And like I say, I don't remember Jack and Nori. I, I mean, I watched it. I just don't remember it. The things I do and don't remember, they're starting to make me sad. So the people came from Jack and Nori and they were talking to our class and they were saying, you know, if you want to be an actor, blah, 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 it's a lot of fun, but you really need something to fall back on. And that's all anyone ever said to me my whole life was you need something to back fall back on. That's all anyone ever talked about. You need something to fall back on. You need something to fall back on. And so my whole life, my whole adult life, I think I've really worried more and protected more these half-assed things to fall back on than I have diving in. But when you're a child, I think people want to protect you from ruining your life and giving your life over to something you might really love, but will, that will you know make you suffer. So they tell you that you need something to fall back on. But then when you're an adult and you hear all these interviews with people that are actually successful in that field, maybe they're more successful, honestly, than the people that are the hosts of Jack and Nori in 1976 or whatever, right? You know what they say? Don't have a plan B or else you'll do plan B. Have plan A and have that be it. And so it really got me thinking about it, about just going back in time to 1982 or 1992, maybe, or was that 02? No, that was probably 92. Is that 18? I guess that, that doesn't sound right. But anyway, when I was, because when, when we were in high school, I was all in, all in. And we were serious about our theater, serious about our acting and our lying on the floor and doing our breathing. And as serious as I could be at 18, I was a jackass. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I was as all in as I could be. Trust me, if Marjorie Midge Marshall heard me say that I was all in at 18, she would choke on a chicken bone and die right there. I'm saying as all in as I could be given my craziness. Or back when I was in acting school and thought about it as art, or even when I was doing stand-up, it was all in, it was all in, and I haven't been all in since the kids were born because I can't be. But the part that could be all in hasn't been all in and I wonder if I need to be all in so last week I started thinking about all of this teaching stuff and then I get a and you may know how this story ends I don't know again the the, the problem with new media is you know the stories before I tell the stories maybe I should start telling old stories because you know actually the new stories because I put them on Facebook and Twitter so maybe, honestly, I keep saying like, hey, follow me on Twitter. Or Let's be friends. on Facebook. You know, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe, honestly, this is probably the best thing for our relationship. Otherwise, these uh, recordings are just a review. Just a very, very long-winded review of Twitter. And let's face it. Why should I talk for an hour when you could just read 140 characters or less? Right? <laughs> so... I get a call from my agent that I have an audition. Now, luckily, the audition's on a Tuesday, and that's the day that our friend picks up my daughter from school with her daughter and then takes them to dance later, and it's a whole thing. So I can actually go to an audition that's at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, why it would be at 5 o'clock and not in the middle of the day, I don't know, but that's the way it works, and who am I to question? So I've never heard of this TV show, though. It's for a TV show... I don't don't know. Now, most of the TV shows, I I recognize their names. Obviously, we all know the new shows, give or take, kind of. I don't know, maybe. But I've never heard of this one. I look it up and it turns out I don't know the show because it's not on the air yet. It's called Intelligence. I've got an audition. I've got an audition for a show called Intelligence that's going to be on in February. And I look it up and it actually looks like it's going to be in this keep in mind who you're talking to, but it looks like it's going to be an awesome show because it looks like it's part $6 million man 
part spies, part super, you understand, right? It's about a guy that has some kind of micro chip put into his brain. And so he can connect to the internet in his brain. He has like Google brain and not Google glass glasses, like Google brain. He can look up DMV records. He can look up, see if you have library finds, right? The whole thing. He knows when you last used your ATM card and how much and the whole, everything. He knows it all. And then he's got the hot brunette handler. And then their boss is TV's Marg Hellenberger. Is that her name? Hellenberger? And when I say TV's, I mean, because Marg, it is Marg, right? Yeah. Marg Hellenberger, I think, has been on the air seriously nonstop since China Beach. What was that? 1989? 1990? This woman, seriously, has she been on nonstop? I think so. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean, it's just like, that's nuts. Did someone, I mean, it feels like she has been on, right? Just kind of seamlessly. And I could be way off. There could be a five or two, you know, I don't know. But it does seem like, like, wow, well done. <laughs> you know, you won. And then and the secret spy guy is played by a guy from Lost. Maybe his name was Sawyer on the show. I don't know. I didn't watch Lost. I know. I meant to. Just never happened. I think he played a guy named Sawyer on Lost, but now he has short hair. Deal with it. So I have an audition for this $6 million man, basically, right? As the uh, uh, director of the NRC, the nuclear, you'd think I would know this by now, nuclear resource committee. Does that sound good? I'm the boss of the nukes by the boss of nuclear power. I don't think I'm the boss. Although that would be cool. I should have looked that up. Am I the boss of nuclear weapons or just the boss of nuclear power? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't need to know to know my lines and to do the thing. And so the lines are all about um, nuclear reactor. I mean, I don't want to give the whole show away. You know what I'm saying? But I, but I am the right. The nuclear. What am I? The chairman, the chairman of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. I don't know. I, I can think of an infinite number of, you know what I mean? So, so I look up nuclear this and I look up nuclear that. And how do you spell uh, nuclear? And how do you pronounce Fukushima? Is it Fukushima or is it Fukushima? Because I think an, um, uh, a Japanese person would say, a person would say Fukushima. And an American would say Fukushima. And I don't know whether I should say Fukushima or Fukushima, but I figure the chairman of the committee of the nuclear resource committee, you know, if he's been in the government for any length of time, maybe he was in the military before that. I don't know the background of these guys. All I know is pretty sure he probably is going to be real American and say Fukushima. So I go to my audition. I have my suit on, you know. And I really wish my suit sometimes was blue. I got a black suit just out of habit. And because I sort of bought it for a funeral, you know, for Jean's funeral, I sort of did. And I, I kind of keep regretting it because honestly, I need to be over the black suit thing. I wish it were gray or blue. Dark, nice, classy, but still like not, there's something on a black suit that I'm a little just, you know what I mean? But I'm in my black suit and I take off my glasses for the audition. And I do the audition. It's very nice. We have, you know, a lovely time, whatever. I say Fukushima. I don't say it like that, though. I, though I kind of wish I did. I kind of wish I'd gone Fukushima like that, but I didn't. Well, the one thing about being an actor that I have actually gotten used to or gotten good at, I, I should say, finally, after uh, 28,000 years in the business, is after the audition... I have taken the time that I beat myself up about it and I've reduced it from probably four days to only four hours, which is really a remarkable amount of progress, my friend. So now, so that's what I do. I go in, I, I prepare as much as I can and I go in and I do the audition the best I can and it usually probably goes just swimmingly. But then I spend the ride home, however long that takes. And in traffic, it can be long, you know, filleting myself with, uh, you know, a whip. So 
Well, that and, and I have gotten to the point where I, I don't sit at home and stare at the phone. I get on with my life. And that was the good thing about like looking at uh, retail space for my acting cult. Because I started to think, you know, maybe I should just move forward with my life and not worry about things. Because let's face it, that is possible and it is what people do. So I'm looking at retail space and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I actually got the part. I actually was cast in intelligence as the director of the Nuclear Resource Committee or whatever it is. And so they set the deal or whatever. They, You know, everything's all right, all thing. It's all good to go. And I'm really excited. Now, I'm telling you a couple of reasons I'm really excited. Number one, haven't been on TV in a long time in that way. You know what I mean? Like haven't done a TV show in too long. I don't want to count the years, but it's been a lot of years. And two, I'm kind of a geeky geek out boy about this show because it's actually something that I can't wait to watch with my son. We've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And you know what? I have notes for Joss. I have pages and pages of notes. My first note is, you need a villain. Just a thought. A villain. A consistent... (laughs) Can't you find some B or C level villain from the comic books and plug him into this show? Because right now, it's just sort of like, "Ah, every show ends. Hey, well done. Finally, this week, they kind of alluded to like, okay, maybe there is, uh, you know, like an evil shield or something. Please. A villain... Maybe somebody with, and I think next week somebody actually has a superpower. It's only been a month. Anyway, so this show kind of looks like another one of those shows, though, that I can sit and watch with my son, and then he and I can talk about it on the way to school the next day and have our geeky dad-son bonding conversations about, right, the, the possibilities and the limitations of the technology and what you could and couldn't do. And I hope they do this on the show. And I wish they wouldn't do that on the show. It just, we're just, it's right. It's, it, it's our Super Bowl. Okay. Just that's what the, it is. So, um, so I get the script. They, they, they're awesome. I mean, working in TV, now that we all have the internet and email and scanners and PDFs and all that jazz, it's so awesome because they just email you things. No messengers have to come to your home. There's no reticence about sending you anything. They just, you get all the information. It's awesome. So they send me the script. They send me the schedule. They send me the day out of days. They send me the online. Great. And I look at my part and I think my part was actually, it was rewritten, but I think it's actually bigger when I get the script than it was for the audition. I think there's a couple more lines or it's broken up differently or something. Which is kind of great. Hey, listen, bring it on, baby. And I start reading the words. And, uh, you know, because I I have to memorize them. I have to be able to understand them. I have to know what I'm saying, even though it's nuclear talk. And I very quickly realized that, um, and it, listen, it's not, it's not that much, you know, it's no, no more than a, a commercial, which I can handle. But there's something about these words that I cannot say them in the order in which they are written. There is some weird thing about the cadence of the sounds, the vowel, the weird arrangements of repetitive consonants or something that I cannot say the words in that order. The the thing with the puh. And I keep, whenever I'm trying to memorize it and I keep interjecting words that aren't actually in there because my brain is like, you can't say those words in that order. And the other part of my brain is going, but you have to, so shut up and do it. And then the first part of my brain is going, but we don't want to, we don't want to, you got to put some extra syllables in there or something so we can get the tongue flapping in the right way, man. It's not going to work. So I calm myself down because I figure, listen, d- dude, you've got plenty of time. You got the, I got the script on Friday. I had it all weekend. And we're shooting on Tuesday. So I think I've got plenty of time to work out how to say one, two, three, maybe four lines of dialogue, five lines of dialogue 
on a TV show, even though my tongue won't do it. Even, even though I am somehow, for whatever reason, physically incapable. Ironically, after my friend Lovely Bill suggested that I teach voice to actors, and I can't even say the worm will wipe the reactor, the blah 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 blah, and is it the health physics system or the physics health health the thing evac the with the, the uh, I recommend that I just can you rewrite it, please? And this goes on all weekend to the point where I take the script and I put it on my phone as the lock screen. So every time I unlock my phone, I can look at the words again and go, the rain in Spain will fall mainly on the plane. Which, by the way, I can say, I can say she sells seashells on the seashore. The rain in Spain will fall mainly on the plane. Unique New York, unique New York, unique New York. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle. I can't say my lines. You know why? Because my lines have become polychlorinated by fennels. Do you know what that means? Long-time listeners of these insipid recordings know exactly what I'm talking about. Polychlorinated by fennels was the phrase that I could not remember when I was on the X-Files. I could not for the life of me no matter how many takes, no matter how nice David Duchovny was, no matter how many, how many, no matter, no matter, I could not spit out, due to memory loss, mind, boinkery, lip waggery, whatever, polychlorinated biphenyls. The rain in Spain falls mainly, see, I can't even say that, it's falls biphenyls. So I work on it and I work on it and I relax and I breathe and I breathe and I work on it and I relax and I breathe. And I go to the fitting. They give me a suit, some wingtips, a tie. They're very impressed that I can tie a tie. And they say, yeah, we just had a guy in here the other day who couldn't tie a tie. I'm like, how can he not tie a tie? He's, was, out, was he an adult? Yeah, he was an adult and he can't tie. Can you tie a tie? Please tell me you can tie a tie. And I don't mean a bow tie. I mean a tie, like a regular tie, like a Windsor knot in a tie. You, can you do that? Please tell me you can do that. At least a Windsor. Maybe a half. You know what? I'll give you points, honestly, for a half Windsor. I could take you from a half to a full, no problem. But if you can't even tie a half, I don't know I don't, what generation cannot even. Is it because I was in my teens and 20s and the 80s and we all wore ties and that's when I learned to tie a tie? Haven't you had a job? You had to wear a tie even a couple times as a joke, or maybe a catering job or something. So I go to the set on Tuesday morning. And I have to get up at four in the morning because I have to go from my house at the airport to Burbank. And you know you're driving kind of a distance in a way when you have to drive from one airport to another, essentially another airport. That's kind of a weird drive because Burbank isn't technically it's a small airport, but it is an international airport. It's an actual like jetliner airport. So I drove, you know, yeah. So so I left it five or something to be there by six ish, six fifteen. I had to be there by six thirty. So I'm up at the crack of dawn. I get there. I get back to Disney. Disney's so cute. It was on the Disney lot and there was, you know, Mickey Mouse is everywhere. Mickey and Daffy and Daisy and Don. I mean, just everything is so cute. And the call sheet says report to stage two. And so I wander over from the Zorro lot um, over to stage two. And there's no sign of anyone. And it's pitch blackout. I mean, there's people. There's guys building sets and moving things around on on stage two or whatever it was. But not for the show that I'm going to be on. Because trust me, that's not what it looks like. Those guys are not getting ready to shoot. Those guys are just making stuff. Well, I feel like an idiot because you can usually fairly, I mean, trust me, it's not difficult to find a bunch of people getting ready to shoot a TV show. There's very specific look to a situation like that. There's all these trailers and trailers called hunting wagons. And then there's going to be guys with clipboards and walkies walking around and grips, guys in shorts and big, mo- you, know, you understand it's, it's, it's the thing, right? It's going to, right? But my call sheet says something like stage 
two and I find stage three and then I find stage two. So I finally, I do find the set, the, the, the intelligence stage. And it kind of looks like they're getting ready to shoot, but I don't see anyone that I would need to, you know, check in with. But I do find, oddly enough, and fairly immediately, my office. It's right there. There it is. Hey, there's my there's my desk. There's my chair, my wall, my back wall, some hats that I own, some medals. Apparently, I was in the Air Force. Wish I'd known that. Yeah, I wish I'd known that. That would be kind of fun to know just for knowing. So I guess now I know. So I guess I was in the Air Force. I, I got accommodations in the Air Force. Look at me. Apparently, right, if you wear your hair this short, you can look like you've been right in the Air Force. So that, that's cool. Well, I go back outside. And I wander around because I can't find anyone to ask. I almost start to wander over to wardrobe and then I decide I'm going to text the AD and go, hi, actor, roaming aimlessly around the Disney lot. Hello, please. 10-4. So they give me directions. I find them. I get settled in. They give me my... Uh, uh, uh. The hair people always love it when I show up to the trailer because it means they get the morning off, basically. I show up and they look at me like, okay, we're done, right? So I go into the makeup trailer. I've got my suit on, my wingtips. I get my little makeup on. Marg is in there. You know what I mean? Marg. Marg is in there getting her makeup done. She's chit-chatting with her makeup person, you know. Some other makeup, some other people in there getting makeup, some other people not just chit-chatting. And I never know whether I should like be brash or brass or an ass. I start introducing myself to everybody then or wait till we're on the set. And I always kind of just like, you know what, just they're chitting, they're chatting, they're not stopping to meet me. So I'm not going to force anything. I'll wait till we're on the set. I'm going to focus on being charming to the makeup person because I always try to be as accommodating as I can. Because I am uh, no one. So I get a little makeup on. They always have to put a lot of makeup on my bald head because my bald head is shiny. That is why I need makeup. It's not to make me more beautiful. It's not to make me look older or younger. It's to make me be re right? less reflective. So... When I first show up, they ask me what I want for breakfast. They give me a menu. Now, my breakfast shows up of like scrambled eggs and a couple of pieces of honey, uh, of uh, turkey bacon or whatever. It shows up 1 1000, 2 1000, time to go on to the set for a rehearsal. Great. So we go to the set to rehearse. And this is where it gets kind of geek tastic. So. If you go on the internet, you can see what I'm talking about. You just Google CBS Intelligence. Uh, that'll probably do it. Series or whatever. Trailer, promo, whatever. And you can watch the promo for the show. Because where I'm going is kind of like the main headquarters. Now, if you haven't done that, you don't want to do that, you're driving your car, whatever, doesn't matter. Just listen. Relax. For everything I described, just imagine that we're in the bus on S.H.I.E.L.D. or uh, that big plane, uh, you know, the uh, Samuel Jackson's plane in the Avengers, something like that. Maybe not quite that big, but the same idea. So they go like, Dan, let, you know, we want to take you over to the set. We're going to uh, do a quick re rehearsal run through. Okay, great. So I'm walking along, you go in the big sound stage, and you know, sound stages are all the same. They've all got that weird insulating padding thing on the walls, and it's all just exposed, you know, everything's exposed and everything, because it's a sound stage, just like when you see a sound stage, you know, in a movie, th they're all exactly like that. And then in there, obviously, they build the set. So we walk along, we walk past my desk, I kind of check it out, there it is, still there, I still have medals, awesome. And then we go onto the set and going onto the set is like going to Disneyland but you don't have to wait in line you just get to walk around anywhere you want 
it was awesome. Like I want a house. I want a house or an office or something that looks like the set of a science fiction TV show because it's all like desks and flashing lights and monitors with, you know, uh, scales and uh, meters and flashing lights and little things that are going back and forth and up and down and maps of countries and planets and heat, uh, heat uh, signatures and all that, like you name it, Doppler effects and scopes and oh my God. And we're walking and we're walking and we turn left and we go through the lab and we turn right and we go through the conference room. We do this and we do this because we're heading to the character Lillian's office. And Lillian is going to be in her office in our scene and she's going to be talking to us, meaning me and some other people, on video conferences. And if you think about it, that's so mundane now, but even like 10 years ago, that was still science fiction so she's sitting in her office and she's going to be talking to us. So we all go into her office and it's really just like gorgeous and cool, man. So I go in there and they introduce me to the director and he's like, hey, hey, whatever. Hey, thanks for coming. But it's very much. This is the thing that you you should if you were a logical person, you would anticipate it. And I never do because I'm not completely logical. And, and I hope, and I don't mean anything negative by this. And I'm not insulting anyone when I say this. I'm, I'm, I'm stating a matter of fact. When you are a little, when you do a small role on a TV show, when you're a co-star, and I'm sure it's a little different when you've, well, when I've been a guest star, yeah, I guess when it's, when it's bigger, but if you're just a co-star and you're just coming in for like a day or a half a day, you just do your thing. No one like, it's like, uh, I wish it's like doing temp work. You know what I mean? You show up and they meet you and they're like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Sit here. Okay. We just need you to type up this stuff and then we'll tell you when you can go. And that, that's pretty much it. Like no one's like, Hey Dan, nice to see you. Hey, how's it going? They're treating you right. Like there's not, no, no, because the train has left the station. The, the minute the show gets the green light, the train leaves the station and until it pulls back into a station, which is when it's canceled, the train is moving. And so no one's going to stop for a lot of like unnecessary chit chat. So it's, hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Be quiet. We're about to rehearse. Let's rehearse. Let's do it. So one of the other stars of the show comes in that I wasn't familiar with his character uh, and he's like, I don't even know if he's the head of the CIA. I'm not even clear what he is right now. I think he's, let's, let's say he's the head of the CIA. And, uh, Marg comes in and we're introduced. Lovely woman. I, well, I guess I would, I guess I wouldn't feel comfortable telling you if she wasn't cause I, cause, cause you work with divas, male and female divas. You do. And I have. And so I guess if she was, but here's the thing, I guess if, if Marg Hellenberger, God, I hope that's her name. If she was a diva, I would really want to tell you, but then I wouldn't feel like I could tell you because I really would like to be back on the show. So I probably wouldn't actually, right, talk smack about her. But the truth is she's actually just completely lovely and really just like laid back and cool. So I'm sorry. There's no, like, there's no story there. And in five years when the show's off the air and I think I'm never going to see her again, there's still, unfortunately, no story. And then another woman comes in who's the other co-star who plays the head of the uh, the head of Homeland Security. And her name is Sandy. And she introduces herself. And she's also just very sweet, lovely woman. So we do our rehearsal. So what happens is, oh man, I'm I'm running out of time too. So uh Marg is sitting at her desk in her spot, and the other star of, from the show the head of the CIA, he's sitting down. And so the AD or somebody offers me and Sandy chairs and they start bringing in a chair and I don't know what to say. And Sandy says, no, thank you. So I feel obligated then to say, no, thank you. Even though part of me, so the, right. Cause the polite part of me wants to stand and the polite part of me doesn't want to sit. If Sandy's going to sit because she's a woman and she's going to be standing. So I should be standing. But the actor part of me 
says, but your character is going to be sitting when you do the scene. So you should sit down, but you can't sit down because Sandy's not sitting and she's a woman. So we stand there and do the thing. And Marg does her line. And then I'm the next one to speak. And I'm like, had, had, had the worm and the thing and the thing and the chlorinated by fennels and the thing. And I trip over my lines and I'm getting a little, you know, there must have been this flash on my face like, uh, not again. So we do it a couple times. And it's fine. Whatever. Uh, I have my contacts in so I can't read the script to double check my lines for the last minute. You know what I mean? I'm kind of stuck with the version of them that's photographed into my memory. So I go finish getting ready and then they call us to the set and we're going to wait to shoot. And the sound guys put our microphones on us and everything and we're waiting to sit in our seats. They're still right lighting. They're still lighting our offices. And Sandy says to me, hey, listen, I've been on the show before. And the words that I had were all this technical la la la. And I kept messing up and I kept messing up, but I got through it. And you're going to get through it. If you want to run lines, let's run lines. And I said, yeah, let's run lines because it'll help me get out of my head if I can not be thinking about me while I'm doing it, but I can be thinking about you, the person I'm talking to. Great. So while we waited, we just ran lines, ran lines, ran lines, ran lines as we stood outside the set waiting for our desks to be available and just ran lines, ran line, the worm and the worm and the worm will wipe and the nuclear and the thing and the, and the evac or whatever. And I kept, and I, and she said, you know, and you know, have your script with you on the, on your desk if you want. And I'm like, I know the lines and I can say the lines. I just need to say them to you i just need to rehearse now that i'm in my suit and i and we were we could sit down and just do it i need to be in right i'm not the character yet i'm just sort of standing around waiting to work so the glamour of the so the glamour of being on tv is this you sit by yourself at your desk way off in the darkness beside the really cool set with the flashing lights. And you have a tiny little speaker shoved into your ear so you can hear the other people that you're supposedly acting with. And there's a camera above and there's a camera right in front of your face. Or excuse me, a light. I'm sorry, a light, a big light above me and a big light right above the camera, the little home video looking camera that I'm actually going to be talking into, like I'm doing a video conference call. Except in a normal video conference call, you can see the person you're talking to, not just a camera, but I'm just looking at a camera. And we do it, 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 because that's what you do. You just do it. And it wasn't the X-Files. It wasn't polychlorinated by fennel. It, it wasn't. There was no flop sweat. There was no take after take after take of redoing it because I failed. Because I folded. Because I choked. Now, yeah, did I flub the lines a couple times? Yeah, I did. That's true. I did. You know what? We all, I mean, you know, well, okay, maybe not we all did. I think Mark did a couple times. I did. This, you know, listen, that's what happens. Things are moving. There's a hundred different pieces. I have to say the worm will wipe and dosey dough and pick your pickle, pickle packers, whatever. But, but it happened. And then there's a bell. And then the next thing you know, the director of Homeland Security is telling you, you can go. And you go. Because you've rapped. And there's no big rap party. This isn't high school drama club. You just go put your civvies back on and get the hell home. 
And so I go get changed, I sign my contracts and whatnot, and I get all my stuff together and I'm headed out to my car. And I'm feeling good that it hasn't been the X-Files because the X-Files was hell. I mean, I really couldn't get the lines done. It was a horrible, I mean, I really, it was the bad acting experience that everybody needs to have. Not to be topped off, but to be completely topped off by the fact that I left my jacket on the set. And I went all the way back to my trailer before I realized that I had left my jacket on the set. I had to go all the way back with my tail between my legs. Like, I know I'm the guy that messed up for, uh, yeah, and my jacket. <laughs> and so I'm walking back to my car thinking, you know what, that, that, was, that was good. That happened. I did that. It was, a, it was fun. It was professional. I can't wait to see the show. It's so exciting. I need to take a moment to, to enjoy a, a job well done. And I'm putting my bag in, in the back of my car because I'm really worried because I had to bring my birth certificate for ID because I don't have a passport anymore. And so I'm looking in my bag and I'm making sure that I have my passport. And I'm trying to decide whether I should stop and eat something on the way home. And I reach my hand down into my pocket to make sure I have my money clip because I'm thinking of... Wait a minute. Where's my money clip? I left my money clip in my suit pants. So I had to go back to the set and back to my trailer to find my suit pants. Except my suit pants were not in the trailer. The suit pants had been returned to the wardrobe truck. The wardrobe truck, which was empty, so I had to go back to the set and find one of the ADs who had to find one of the wardrobe people who had to find one of the other wardrobe people who had to go back to the trailer or had to go back to the wardrobe truck and I had to go back to the wardrobe truck to get my money clip. And as I was walking back to the wardrobe trailer to get my money clip, I saw Marg and I said to Marg as we passed, Hey, nice working with you today. And she said, because she's a nice woman and not a diva. You too. But she had this look on her face like, I have no idea who you are. And so I said, oh, um, oh, um, I had a suit on before. And she's like, oh, yeah, and no glasses. Every job is the X-Files. Every job. All right. Thank you for listening to the Bitterest Pill podcast. Yes, I will be. Uh, I will be on Intelligence on CBS sometime uh, in the spring or early summer. I don't know when. Episode eight. I certainly hope they bring me back. It was a lot of fun. A lot of hard work. I really. Um, I was so happy and impressed that Mark Hellenberger seriously is such is just like a nice normal person. I swear, because <laughs> you don't know. I'm telling you, man, you don't know. You don't know what it's gonna be like. And when it's someone cool, you're like, oh, that's a load off. So I, re- yeah, really hope I can do the show again. It would be an honor. I- I'm so excited to watch. I'm I'm excited to be a fan of the show because I think I already am. It just looks like an interesting show. Sorry, it does. It looks fun and funny and cool. Anyway, that's Intelligence on CBS. I'm on episode 8. I don't remember the title. I'll keep you posted. All right, I guess next time I will try to remember to tell you the story, because we we ran out of time, of um, going to the car wash and hoping uh, at least one beautiful woman would be there washing her car. So try to help me remember that. Hey, Dan, remember, you wanted to tell the story about going to the car wash and hoping there'd be at least one beautiful woman washing her car. Okay, that's the story. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that's an hour. So uh, I got to go in and sort some laundry before I get my daughter. Listen, thank you for listening. Uh, I prom- I'm going to try to get into the habit, by the way, of uh, when I miss a week of recording of releasing an old pillbox show. If you will help me remember, I will be more inclined to remember. Anyway, thank you very much. 
Um, I will talk to you soon. Thanks for downloading The Bitterest Pill. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's 